Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be opening up the Salt and Light Hope Chest and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2019. We start by speaking with author Sally Reed. Sally is a convert and was inspired by the story of the Annunciation to write a book for her daughter. After that, we reconnect with composer J.J. Wright, who has a new jazz Vespers album. Yep, you heard it right. Jazz Vespers. It's called Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. In our second half hour, Joel Stepanek of Life Teen tells us about the 99 experience and how to set up an evangelization program in your parish. And we end the show by reconnecting with singer-songwriter Lorraine Hess, who has a new album, See the Miracle. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We begin now with Sally Reed and her book, Annunciation, A Call to Faith in a Broken World. Three years ago, we met author Sally Reed, who told us about her fascinating conversion story in her book, Night's Bright Darkness. When Sally Reed converted, her daughter Flo was four years old. Needless to say, her conversion made a difference in her daughter's life. Now Reed has a new book that she's written to her daughter, Compelling Reasons for Holding On to God and the Church. The book is titled Annunciation, A Call to Faith in a Broken World. And to tell us more and to explain how the Annunciation is an ongoing event in the life of every believer, I am now joined by Sally Reed from her home in Rome. Sally, so good to talk to you again. It's so good to be here. So you began writing this book just for your daughter? Did it, did it begin that way? Well, it came out of a very genuine and urgent need. Um, I think if you're a writer you never write anything without a lot of kind of... Uh, you do everything very seriously. Right, but it, yeah. but I, it seriously is to my daughter. So yes, it did start out just as a letter to her. And then and as then I began evolved. to write it, yeah. yeah. As I began to write it, I sort of realized that this was useful for me as well. And then I thought, oh, actually, this is useful for lots of people. Because... And I don't mean it... I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't, it, do, it doesn't read like you're writing it to a 13-year-old. I mean, you're writing it to someone as sophisticated as as me as you people even people you know someone who understands certain things about theology and 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 you know so in that sense i thought i wondered if you had made yourself kind of expanded to a wider audience no i tell you what that was about i mean this this the impulse behind this is very sincere and yeah. because my daughter is is very um how can i put it uh, she's very uh, demanding in her questions and she's very <laughs> yeah. thorough well, it sounds i knew like she's that because mature, i wrote it yeah. for her when she's going to be a grown-up yeah, I, knew I had right. to explore every single yes single possibility yeah. yeah no and i figured that 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 uh Flo is probably going to be reading this book over and over again, and as she the older she gets, a lot of things will sort of fall into place as well. Um, um, why why the Annunciation? Did you begin with the Annunciation story, and out of that came everything else, or did you be, begin thinking I would like to write my daughter about certain things, and then discovered that there was a, a deep connection with that Annunciation story? Well, this is 
one of the mysteries of creation. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really came. In, it came through prayer, and it came in a very whole way. Yeah. Um, but what I yes. what I can tell you is that the Annunciation for me has always been um, an event that I've been obsessed with ever since before my conversion. So even when I was an atheist, I wrote poetry about the Annunciation. Right. And since I've converted, I've written about the Annunciation. So it was evidently something within me, and somehow I just it, the whole thing came to me entire. Like all of a sudden, I could see how Wonderful. the stages yeah. of the spiritual life are so much a part of every stage of the Annunciation, because Mary goes through kind of yeah, everything of I know. in those minutes. No, I know, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, well, I don't know if you know, but we just had the last World Youth Day was in Panama, and the theme of the last World Youth Day was, um, here I am, the handmaid of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. So we'd been reflecting on that theme as we prepared for World Youth Day for so long. So I've heard so many wonderful reflections about just that one line and that whole event, but I'd never heard some of the reflections that you share, the way you, and in particular, I mean, in particular, the title, like, how is the Annunciation a call to faith in a broken world? Well, really, that's about my call to my own daughter, because the world is so fractured. And mm -hmm. more than ever before, we know we think we're in control of absolutely everything. And we think we can design our lives and change our sex and do whatever we like. Right. And the world is really broken. So really, that's to her. But I keep coming back in the book to the fact that every believer is going through an annunciation in every day and every moment of their lives because we're constantly being asked to say yes to God. Yes. And that, I believe, is very pertinent. You see, okay, this, yeah. this month in the church is the month of mission. Yes. Well, well to me, yes. the mission is in my home <laughs> mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. my husband doesn't particularly believe and my daughter can always see that he doesn't go to Mass. And so it's a constant evangelizing right. and a constant getting her to give her consent to God. Mm -hmm. So it's about that fact that we're all constantly called to give a fiat, which actually is really beautiful and helpful to us in our state because it's very helpful to think when you get up in the morning, painful as it is to get out of bed, this mm -hmm. is my fiat. You know, yeah. this is where God has put me. This is what I have to do. Yeah, no, I think that that's beautiful and simple. And you're right. It, in, in, in a way, it summarizes our whole Christian experience relationship with God. Um, if people are joining it at this time, you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm speaking with author Sally Reed about her new book, Annunciation, A Call to Faith in a Broken World. Um, Sally, in chapter four, which by far my favorite chapter, um, it's called Let It Be Done to Me According to Your Word. You reflect on, on what it's like for a woman to be pregnant and how that experience in itself has to be one of trust. And I guess that's what you meant. Well, I don't know if that's what you meant, but because you said you were obsessed with the Annunciation even before you became a Christian. How much yeah. of that had to do with your pregnancy experience? Or I mean, the fact that a, a, as soon as a woman is pregnant, it becomes a, an experience of trust. Yeah, which is something that as an atheist, as, a, as an anxious atheist, <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can really talk about because um, if you, oh gosh, if you have no faith when you get pregnant and you think you're in control of everything and you know a certain amount in scientific terms, but not all that much, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. You know, I was so obsessed with everything that could have been wrong with the baby, right. everything that could go wrong generally. And I was an, I was an absolute wreck. And, and I write in the book about a particular concern that I had yeah. and then how I felt, I suddenly realized I had no choice. That was like the, the first tiny step to conversion because it was my first experience of trust. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That that's amazing. So it means that what a lot of people say, that, I mean God has written himself into our hearts and it's the, he's there whether we know him or not or yeah. whether we know it or not and and he will reveal himself in whichever way um he needs to as as or whatever way we need to, I guess. Um who is this book for? 
I mean, obviously, it's not just for flow. It's, but it's, is it mostly for, and I hate to say this, but do you find that it's mostly an experience that women can relate more with? I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's from a mother to a daughter, so we, I do talk about things like pregnancy, but I actually think it's pretty universal. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a secret. The, yeah. the title was originally Annunciation for My Daughter. Oh. And, and it was Ignatius, the publisher, who said, you know what? We don't think you should because it's, then it sounds like it's just for girls. And it right. isn't just for girls. It's, it's for everybody. So I would have to trust them because they have a more objective view on that. Mm-hmm. I think it really is. I mean, you would know because you're a guy and you've read it. Um, I think it's about any of anybody who is in who is involved in a relationship with God and has experienced the closeness of being with God and and the, the phases when we feel spiritually dry and when we suffer from anxiety right. and all those different things. Do you think it's a book that people can use? I mean, obviously, I do consider it in in the genre of spiritual reading. Um, but that I can, that I don't have to read from beginning to end, but I can maybe open one chapter and just read a bit and that, that that's maybe a good way to approach it. Yeah, I don't, well, mm, yeah, I'm not sure I, (laughs) (laughs) I would of course say you have to read it from beginning to end because you know, but no, I think you're right. And I I like the design of the book, um, which isn't a superficial point. It's a, it's a small book, the yeah. way they've designed it, and it's like you can put it in your bag. And um, Father Gregory, who's kind of my spiritual director and friend, said, oh, that's really good because I think it's the kind of book people would take to, to adoration or right. to read on the train. And I think, yeah, I think, in fact, with my daughter, we read it from beginning to end together, and then she's coming up with all kinds of questions again, and, and I'm starting to take a page or a section at a time and, and, to, and read it aloud to her mm-hmm. at bedtime. Can I ask you a little bit about, about the experience of, of being a a Catholic convert with a husband who's not a believer and trying to help your daughter navigate through that. And I know that, yeah. I mean, clearly that's where the book comes from. But as you said, it's a daily a daily living. Um, my wife is also not Catholic. Um, wow. And we have two boys. And But that wasn't a, a, a I mean, maybe um, different people are different. So I didn't find that that was a constant uh, issue in our home. But can you tell maybe there are some listeners that are going through that experience um, and struggling through it? Yeah, I, I think it's difficult. And I think it's good when people can say that these things are difficult. Yeah. And sometimes we pray so hard and so regularly, and then we're disappointed when things don't happen. Mm. And we have, to, we have to look to people like St. Monica. Yeah. And we have to remember that God, can do, God does things in his own time. Mm-hmm. And then I would say to people, because there's this oft-quoted piece of research that says, um, if the father attends mass, then it's you know much more likely that the children will attend mass yes. and all of that. And that's a that's a good thing to it bear is, in mind. Yeah, it is. But true. I would say to the women out there who are doing this on their own, you know, God, with, with God, nothing is impossible. No. And I mean, when I think about Flo, I was so worried about her when I started writing the book. And a couple of years on, um, I had to be out of town on Sunday in Rome for some work, so I went to mass in Rome and. Mm-hmm. And I left Flo here and in town where we live, and, and I said to her, look, you know, I, I leave it to you. You, don't, you can't drive. You're a minor, so if you don't get to Mass, it's not a mortal sin, but I leave it to you. And she, she told her dad, you know, drive me to Mass. Mm-hmm. You know, so n- nothing is impossible. We just, have to, we just have to... It's very much about example, I think. Right. It's very much about, you know, if you love God so much and, and they see you pray, then it means an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that goes back to that fiat, that um, trusting and also patience. Mary must have had a lot of patience, I think. Um, 
Sally, that's all the time we have. So thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for writing the book. I, I think I'm going to have to read it a couple more times because there were some things in there that um, needed a little more reflection on my part. But uh, um, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And uh, thank you for sharing your experience with us today. Well, thank you. Sally Reed is the author of Night's Bright Darkness, a modern conversion story, and also three books on poetry published by Bloodaxe books. She's a poet in residence at the Hermitage of the Three Holy Hierarchs, and she lives with her family near Rome. Her new book, Annunciation, A Call to Faith in a Broken World, is published by Ignatius. Here now is an excerpt of the Magnificat from J.J. Wright's Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. That was an excerpt of the Magnificat from J.J. Wright's Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. I wish we had more time to listen to the whole thing, but I guess you'll just have to go and get the album. Vespers for the Immaculate Conception is the latest creation of composer and producer J.J. Wright. As you can hear, it is a beautiful and creative fusion of sacred music with jazz. And I'm not going to say more because I have tons of questions, and so I'm so happy to welcome J.J. Wright to the program. J.J., welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks so much for having me. Yes. Uh, so... so I, I'm sure that I'm not the only one wondering, but like, what? Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> what? What? What was the inspiration for this? What made you think that you could do vespers, jazz style, sacred music? I don't even know what to call it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so my background is actually as a jazz pianist. Yeah, I know. Um, and 
yeah, I did my undergraduate degree in jazz and was also in the Navy for four years, right? Right. Um, played mostly jazz music full time. And um, when I uh, lived in New York City, um, while I was getting my undergraduate at the new school, I uh, got my first church job. Uh-huh. Um, kind of working as a as a full-time director of music at a parish. And um, when I started kind of doing the week-to-week, I, you know, I was really, really enjoying it. Yeah. And started to realize that there, I just didn't know a lot about how to do a really great job as a music director. And so uh-huh. um, I started looking for graduate programs where I could study and um, stumbled upon a program at Notre Dame and came out to Notre Dame and did my master's and doctorate in sacred music. Okay. Um, but when I was here at Notre Dame, I kind of, uh, I, I kind of felt like I was letting, letting go of my identity as a jazz pianist. But in one of my first classes, uh, a professor was like, Hey, you know, you're, you're a jazz musician, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, okay, well, your project for this semester is to, uh, is to create a jazz vesper suit. Oh my God. And I was like, well, I I have no idea how to do that. And Uh she was like, okay, well, you know, why don't we just, we'll take it a little bit at a time. We'll just kind of work through it and study a lot of the ways that sacred music's been created before and yeah and go from there so that was kind of the initial impetus uh-huh. okay so let me ask you uh, because it, you'd think uh, so i don't know if maybe you, you would know musically but i'm not sure you would think that the idea of jazz as something as an audience member that i'm that that i that it's intended for me to to listen to i guess and the idea of a vespers that it's intended for me to participate in. How do those, you know, how do you kind of uh, come to terms with that? That which it seems like it's like two different purposes. For sure, yeah. And you know, one of the great things about jazz is that you know, it, it, kind of in the earliest um, iterations, like this music is a is a social music. It's, yeah, it's yeah, made yeah. for participation. And so when when you hear really great jazz, you hear the audience super involved, you know, okay. they're playing songs that people recognize and understand and then kind of going from there as a starting point. And I think in right. one of the, one of the beautiful things that that sort of um, contributes uh, into sacred music is that so much of our, um, our prayer and participation, we want to incorporate, you know, sort of the body and the soul uh-huh. and um, jazz really kind of gives a great, um, a really great push to that whole idea that the the music fills fills up the body and it can sort of illuminate our mind to to grow closer to God. Yeah, and I'm I'm like I'm totally into the idea that it's okay to just sit and listen to a vesper service. But would you say that this music? I mean, this is clearly not intended for the audience to participate in that we can sing along. Right, right. It's I I like to say that it's particip- participatory in a different way, just because. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's different ways to participate. Like, you know, when I'm, if I'm praying um, by myself in the morning, for example, yeah, um, and I'm, you know, sitting in a chair and just kind of silently, um, you know, meditating or reading scripture or something, I'm still actively involved in that prayer. Yeah, yeah. And um, in the same way with with something like vespers or or even like a homily, like we we can be actively engaged in the act of prayer in all kinds of different ways. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah. Kind of like dynamic listening is is a really great way to um 
you know, get our imagination going. Yeah, exactly. No, and I, I like that. Yeah. I like I like that because it's if it, 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 maybe it's even better to engage me if if I'm bopping around with the music or tapping my foot or clapping along. That's that's engaging me in a way that I probably wouldn't normally engage with prayer. So I I, right. I, I love that. Did you was it recorded as as a concert with with an audience? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was first performed as a concert, but then we um, we did it on a big sound stage, kind okay. of, and, and we kind of recorded it like a concert. But it was it was um, more, you know, we stopped and started and did all that kind of right. Stuff of to get a really great recording. Out yeah, of, it. of course. No, and it sounds it sounds great. Was the was the jazz okay? So 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 some of it because I haven't been able to play obviously all, all, everything or a lot of it. Even some of the tracks that I wanted to play, we'd have to only play portions of it because they're they're a little long. Um, but so there's some there's Gregorian chant, um, and there are two Baroque motets that you that you use. Um, so you've kind of used things that already existed. Did you write any new sacred style kind of music? And was the jazz that we hear was it improvised? Yeah, both both are true. So like I kind of set up this dialogue between the Gregorian chant and the Baroque motets, and then the, most of the music in the middle of the piece is stuff that is newly composed. Yeah. Um and within that newly composed music are sections where and for the for the jazz trio really to just improvise uh during and that you know contribute to some part of the you know the message or the prayer that that we are um currently yeah. uh, engaged in. Yeah, no that's great. So and it's your jazz trio, right? It's you on piano. That's right. Okay, and bass and uh and and percussion. Um Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love that because it's like you you guys are responding to. I, I love that. I love that. And I think when people hear it, those are the sections that I'm playing actually in the show. So I think when people hear it, they'll 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 get that. Do you ever cool. think? So is there? I don't even know how to ask this because I don't. I think I, I'm thinking that it's not a great question, but some people might have it. So the idea of Catholic or sacred music and jazz. Um, do you think that? It's possible to, you know, like like I've heard some jazz, a, a, a mass setting that is jazz, or mm-hmm. or I mean I don't know. I, I, do, do you know what I mean? Like there's something about or people that do praise and worship music. Do you think that the jazz is a genre that kind of lends itself to sacred music I, or prayer or yeah. worship? Yeah, I, there's a couple. There's a couple things. Um, with that, I think the first thing is that part of the reason I think uh, part of the reason I included these Baroque motets is because if you kind of look under the hood, uh-huh. you hear the voices singing over top, but underneath you hear this it's kind of like a band. And I'm playing the organ, and there's a cellist. And yeah. the idea uh, of this thing called the basso continuo in Baroque music really is improvised underneath yes. the texture of the piece. Yes. And when I'm playing jazz and I'm at the piano with with bass and drums, I'm my my head's in a very similar space because I'm basically doing the same thing it's just a different style right and i think the cool thing about baroque music especially is that you know this music by carissimi and charpentier that's on the record like uh-huh. this music was the the cutting edge music at the time that it was written and it uh-huh. was cutting edge and it was in the church this is the music that people were traveling to rome to come see and the kind of the best stuff that was being offered right um, throughout europe so it would have been like the popular music of the day yeah yeah interesting which I, I suppose, but even that we could say that jazz, I mean, jazz is not really the popular music of our day, but it's still right. considered popular music. Um, I love jazz. I mean, I'm so I'm so in, in awe at people like you, like jazz piano. If I could play jazz piano, I'd be like, I won't, don't have to do anything else. I just 
play the piano. Yeah, um, yeah it's really fun. It's it's just great. Yeah, it it, it must be, and I, and I love the idea that, and I'm sure JJ, when you sit at the piano and you're just you know riffing or whatever, following chords and and just that that that's prayer, and and God smiles when you do it because. Thanks. No, seriously. So, and through this recording, you're helping other people enter into that. So, I hope that there's more to come. I don't know what more you can do, but I'm I'm yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to more jazz, uh, sacred music. Um, so, thank you for sharing a little bit of that with us today, JJ. Absolutely. Thanks again. You can learn more about JJ Wright, his music, and in particular about Vespers for the Immaculate Conception at his website, jjwrightmusic.com. To listen to the full interview or any other part of this program, go to our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Here now, again, is an excerpt of Psalm 113 from JJ Wright's Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. Listening to Psalm 113 from J.J. Wright's Vespers for the Immaculate Conception. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, and check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. If your parish is at all like mine, you have noticed that there are a few people who are the ones who do everything. But there are many, many others who are faithful, who have many skills, but just don't know how to get involved. And what's more, they struggle to to take their faith to the next level. And I know so many of these people, and I sometimes wish that there was an easy evangelization program for beginners to give them some of the basic tools so that they can do what Jesus asked us all to do, to go and make disciples of all nations. Turns out that this program 
actually already exists. It's called The 99 Experience. And to tell us all about it, we're now joined by Life Teen's Joel Stepanek. He's the co-author of The 99, an evangelization experience. Joel, so good to have you in the program. Welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So am I, am I calling it the right? Is it The 99 Experience? It is the 99, and there are three parts of the 99. Okay, yes. Uh, which is the 99 Experience, okay. the 99 Masterclass, and the 99 Handbook. And all of those things work together to promote renewal in your parish. Okay, um, just before you tell us all the all some details, you co-authored this with uh, Life Teen Executive Vice President Mark Hart. Um, so it, was this a Life Teen thing? Did it come out of the Life Teen Experience, or is it something completely separate? It is separate, and it came out of experiences that both he and I had working yeah. at the parish level and in communication with a lot of different parishes as people invite us out to do missions uh, on an annual basis and right. what we saw at those missions, and then getting feedback from parishes about just how do we reach out to our entire community, not just the youth, but an entire community, right. and help them become evangelists. And yeah. this was born out of our experience and really what a need was becoming so evident in the church. And it's been a need for a while. Yeah, I think so. Why Why did you choose to call it the 99? We love the play of that scripture where Jesus leaves the 99 to go find the one. But yes. so many people in our parish see themselves as the 99, whether you call them the frozen chosen, whether you call them, <laughs> you know, the, the Sunday, you know, your Sunday crowd who's just there for that one hour, but you never see them. Yeah. Those people, the 99, actually are the one that Jesus wants to go after. So the crux of this is looking at how do you first mobilize the people at your parish and evangelize within your pews, and then get them ready and excited to go out and bring more people in. Right, right. Sometimes uh, then the, that 99 is also the, described as the, the older son of the, you know, the prodigal son story. You know, is that also the people that, the ones that have been faithful, they're there, they've always been part of the club, the choir, but like I said in the introduction, they kind of need to be taken to the next level. Is that also for them? Absolutely. And how do we get those people to not simply... Uh, be present, but to yeah. rejoice when the one returns. Yeah, and exactly. Make them as excited as the father. And they're the ones that we want to. We want them to go out and be the ones looking for the one that's lost or looking for the brother that 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 went away. Um, so, uh, so how does it work? You said there's three parts. There's the the experience, which is the DVD or the videos, the master class, which is this uh, like uh, the master class, the workshop, I guess, and the handbook, which is a book. So how do, how do all these, how do all those three work together? Yeah. The, the goal is to create a really a parish mission experience uh -huh. in a really economical way uh, that anybody could do. It's going to be impactful. And the best way to utilize the 99 is to start with that master class and okay. identify people in your church uh, your parish community, who could be small group leaders, who are maybe influencers. You know, they're the people who know the people that they could invite in for this mission experience. Right. And the masterclass does some prep work in giving people the tools they need to become evangelists. Um, and that masterclass has a great leader component that goes with it. It can be done and should be done with the parish staff, but you could do it with your small group communities if you have those set up already. You could do it just with a group of five people who get together and say, we're going to get this thing 
started. I love it because it's right. scalable in that way. Yeah, okay. uh, that pulls in some of the best voices in evangelization to provide some real practical training. Is the that's mas- the first piece is to get your team set. Yeah. It, okay, so it's specifically to get the team set, like the leadership team. Correct, well, yeah, yeah, your leadership team, your hospitality, your parish priest, your parish staff. Right. Think about all the contact points for evangelization. Uh-huh. There's a lot of yeah. people involved that you can mobilize. Okay, good. So then you, once you do that, then where do we go? Next you do that, you're ready for this experience. And this is really based off a model that was popular in the United States with parish revivals or with church revivals. Yeah. Where you'd have a group like Billy Graham was known for, the Reverend Billy Graham. He'd go into yeah, a town. Yeah set up churches for success, train people, and then they'd have the revival. So uh-huh. you have the masterclass, and then you have the 99 experience, which can be done a couple of different ways, but that's your mission experience. You can invite new people in. You definitely want to invite your every Sunday mass goer in mm-hmm. for that to really be rekindled in their love of Christ and their desire to bring other people in. So that's a three-session uh, three experience, and okay. it could be done on one night. It could be done on a series of a couple nights back-to-back, like a traditional mission, it could be done over the series of three weeks, depending on what's the best fit for your parish and how people will best engage. I see. And then, sorry, just because I'm looking at, I'm holding, uh, people are listening, obviously, on the radio or they're podcasting this. They can't see that I've got the DVD in my hand. So, but the DVD, there are two DVDs. One DVD are the videos that go with the masterclass, and the other DVD are the, the, the experience DVDs, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. So those are the videos. And and maybe at this point I should mention that the videos are not just Joel and, and Mark, although that, that would have been awesome in itself, but you have some some collaborators. We got Father Mike Schmitz, uh, Sister Miriam Heidland, uh, Leah Darrow. There's a whole bunch of other people here. Um, that yeah, it, it's a great group of people. And I think the people that are involved in this project can speak to a lot of different walks of life and a lot of experiences right. that people in the pews have. Right, so you got priests, there's sisters, but there's lay people, there's married people, there's uh, uh, all kinds of uh, different uh, points of views here. Um, okay, so then that's the uh, the experience, and then we've got the handbook, which is the little book. And the handbook is your follow-up, and not only a follow-up, but it could be something you give to your parishioners um, just in mass, even okay. though you didn't come to the mission. But it's a great follow-up that dives a little bit more deeply into some of the concepts, but why do we care so much about this message, this gospel message? Uh, and then what does it mean to really engage in our faith in a way that makes us passionate enough to share it? It's got a lot of great anecdotal stories, some real practical ways that you can right. live an evangelistic mindset on a daily basis. And it's an excellent follow-up to even just give to your, your mission-goers after the 99 experience. And then it all circles back around where a few months later you reach out to those people who are at the 99 experience and invite them into the master class. Oh, okay. So they read the so book. You come now back. they become the next set of people right. to become leaders, and we go out and invite more. And there's this wonderful synergy about the whole process, which is why it was fun to work on, and it's going to be really fun to see how parishes implement it and grow not only their reach as a community, but grow more in a greater depth of community yeah. as well. Now, I, don't take this the wrong way. I don't mean it as a criticism, uh, but I find that the topics are very simple, and I, th- I I mean that in a good way because it's actually not a complicated thing to get people excited about the faith. So something as, as simple as what is my story 
What is my relationship with God? Um, what What is my place in the world? I mean, those are sort of very basic questions. Obviously, I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing here, Joel. But can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to to focus on those specific topics as you develop this this uh, passion, this <laughs> seed for passion for evangelization for people? I think when I think about my marriage, uh, and if anybody else who's married, you you may this may be true as well. When I start to sit back and I think about some of the basic parts of my story with my wife, I find myself falling in love with her in a new way. Right. Uh, when I look back even in my relationships uh, and I look at what are the most basic things that I need to do as a friend to walk this out, those are the things that make the biggest impact. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we can get really fancy with the gospel, and uh, in our desire to do things in a real creative way and get away from the basics— we actually wind up becoming ineffective. Like mm-hmm. any sports team, uh, you know, a coach of a sports team says, you got to go back to basics and fundamentals. That's how we actually become the most effective. So going back to those basic building blocks of the gospel that sometimes we take for granted, right. sometimes we forget, sometimes we lose sight of, and as a result, we grow cold in our relationship to Christ, we believe is going to help people recognize, hey, it's not about all these fancy, creative things we need to do. Sometimes those things are really great. Um, but if we go back to those basic pieces and start building from there, we can be much more effective than we realize. Yeah, and I love I love that analogy because it's all about falling in love with Christ. And then if you're in your love, you want everybody to know about who you're in love with. So that's the basics of mission. Um, really easy to find, uh, Accession Press, so people can uh, look it up. Joel, thank you for uh, sharing a little bit about this with us today and uh, look forward to uh, hearing how it uh, works in parishes and maybe even implementing it in my own parish. Uh, so it's good to talk to you today. Thanks, Deacon. Joel Stepanek has been evangelizing for 15 years, and he's the vice president of Paris Services for Life Teen International. He is the author of several books, including Chasing Humility, Eight Ways to Shape a Christian Heart. He co-authored The 99 with Mark Hart. You can learn more about The 99 at ascensionpress.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Lorraine Hess, with the title track of her new album, See the miracle. See the miracle in a sunrise. See the miracle in the ordinary moments of life. See the miracle in the beauty. It's a miracle Why do the birds fly in formation? It's a miracle What gives us strength to move a mountain With the faith of a mustard seed? Only a miracle See Beautiful.
What makes the sea crash into the sand? It's a miracle. How can a child look like her father? It's a miracle. How can the loss of someone lead a broken world to trust in God? Only a miracle. That was Lorraine Hess with See the Miracle from her new album of the same name. And singing with her on that track is Jennifer Collins. We first met Lorraine Hess in 2015. She had just released her album As I Pray. We last spoke with Lorraine Hess exactly a year ago, October 2018. She and her family had just come out of the harrowing experience of having their home burned down. Out of that experience came a new album, Glorify Him. Lorraine has spent the last year working on a new album, another one, that has just been released, and we've been listening to it. It's called See the Miracle. And with this album, Lorraine continues with her goal of bringing hope to those who mourn, those who suffer, and those who seek to grow in faith through their crosses. And so I'm very happy to have Lorraine Hess uh, back on the show with us. Lorraine, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. 
Thanks so much, Deacon. It's good to talk with you. I know. And I'm, well, I was going to say I'm excited that you finally got to move into your, back into your home, but maybe we should back up. Um, <laughs> we are too. Because last, last we spoke, you were still living, can I say, living in transition? <laughs> um, yes. Tell us what this last year was, was like. So we spent about 20 months from the fire to moving into our new home. And it was a long journey, and we had to make a lot of different decisions along the way. Uh-huh. But we finally moved in to our home um, on August 29th, which is actually the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina in oh New Orleans. Gosh. And it's just a resurrection day to think of. Everybody remembers that day, and it, it was also the day um, that Dr. Keith Collins, who this album is raising money for his scholarship, yeah. he died on that day. It's just very significant that we ended up moving on that oh my day. Gosh. But we are thrilled to be in our new home after almost two years. Um, so a little bit of an exile, but it was it's it's great. So last when we spoke last time, the house had burned down almost a year before, um, and out of that. Sorry, I was going to say out of the ashes, and it sounds so cliche, but I literally out of the ashes came this this album that you wrote, that you released last year. Um, is it fair to say that this new album, See the Miracle, is, is a continuation of kind of that recovery or rebirthing, well, or how would you describe it? it, it yeah, it, uh, the, the, the album Glorify Him actually came out a week before the fire. And what was interesting about that is that all of the music on that um the question mm-hmm. for me spiritually was, are you going to glorify me now mm-hmm. through all that you've been through? And it was an opportunity to glorify God in a way that I did not think that I was going to be called to do right, right after that was released. It was all praise and worship and very positive. So this new album is, is a result of the music and the growing through that. And you say out of the ashes, but there's actually a song on the new album called A Heart That's Been Purified based on Malachi. Yes. Gold that's tested in fire, yes. and out of the ashes I arrive, and the strength of my faith is the prize. So that that you say that is certainly not. I know, I know, but it's like we read that from, and it's in scripture, and also I think in, in the letter to Peter he talks about being. But we think it's it's not literal. <laughs> right. no. no, we did. It is funny when I when right after the fire, my spiritual director said it. I think it's important for you to cling to a saint right now, and so I clung to. St. Catherine of Siena. She's just been my go-to right. saint for so many things. And and then her famous saying is, be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. Oh, like, no. I don't, no more fires, please. Just no. <laughs> I don't mind setting the world on fire spiritually. I know. So, but no, she was a powerful intercessor for me during the writing of the music for this album. Right. Um, right. Certainly in my ministry. I mean, but certainly it has been a time of, of, of uh, mourning, grieving. Are you back in the same house or is this a new house? No, we ended up selling the house. Okay. It's a very long story. We don't have enough time to no. discuss it, but it was the right decision to make. Okay, and so it we is a new are beginning. to be where we are now. Yes, we it are is very a new happy. Beginning. Okay. Um, starting a new beginning, yeah. Now, you mentioned that the, the album, the proceeds of the album go to support the uh, Keith Collins Memorial Scholarship Fund. That's through the Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center. So I had to say all that for the people who don't know New Orleans. Um, but we all earlier mentioned that Jennifer Collins was singing with you. Can you tell me a little bit about the connection? Why are the proceeds going to this uh, scholarship fund? Sure. In 2015, Dr. Keith Collins was uh, diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. In the middle of May 2015, he died August 29, 
2015, three wow. and a half months. He had six children under the age of 20. He was 45 years old, and he was a pediatrician for half the kids in one of the largest parochial schools in New Orleans. Wow. The archbishop did his funeral. The funeral mass looked like Christmas vigil mass. Huh. It was packed. People, par- It was just an unbelievable story. But what was beautiful about his illness and his, it was how many people were drawn back to their faith and how hmm. Jennifer was such an incredible witness of faith through her struggle with her children and with this illness and, and accepting the inevitable. And mm-hmm. her caring bridge just gave us so much hope and sh- invited us to see miracles in everything and just the right. breath and sunrise and, and, and how your children can look like your husband and just all these beautiful things that she said. So mm-hmm. during that time, I was inspired to write the song, See the Miracle. Mm-hmm. And I didn't finish it right away, but um, after a while, I finished it. I did a little demo recording, and I sent it to her uh, as a gift. And um, over time, I, she started singing at Mass with me once she was ready to start singing again and get back into life. And we've been singing at Mass together um, during the week and on the weekends. We do daily Mass together during the week as well. Mm-hmm. And so it was her inspiration to put this song together, and I decided I would release it as a single for the scholarship because his med school friends put together a scholarship fund. Okay. And then one night I was up at midnight and I could not sleep. And I kept thinking about the album. I was up for three hours from midnight to 12, 12 to three, which I think is very significant that those hours huh. when I was awake. Yes. And finally I was praying, what do you want from me, Lord? And it was very clear that God wanted a full project for this scholarship because Keith lived with faith. He was a pediatrician with faith. Mm-hmm. He was just full of life, and um, and so I figured I could raise a lot more money if I did a full scholar, a full project yep. instead of just one song. And so through GoFundMe, we raised ten thousand dollars in three weeks. Wow! So I could do all the recordings, stay in Memphis while I was there, mm-hmm. um, get it pressed and released, and um, people were so supportive of this project in this community. Yeah, it was amazing. Wow. It wasn't about me. It was about Jennifer Collins and Dr. Keith Collins and yeah. their faith story through their illness, right. his illness. It's interesting. That's why it's yeah. so beautiful. Because, I mean, I don't, I'm, I, for me, it's refreshing because I think projects that are giving people hope, you think, are, have to do with hope. And not that this doesn't have to do with hope, but it would have never occurred to me to, to, to connect miracles, see the miracles. And, and I mean, if we listen to the lyrics of that song... Um, and now it makes sense with what you're saying that with Jennifer would have said at the funeral mass, you know, that how, how a seed becomes a tree or how, you know, Christ becomes the Eucharist. Um, those are miracles that we see every day. And if that doesn't right. give you hope, <laughs> you know, I mean, and how, how one man's illness could pull a community together. I mean, we try to get the pews filled with people every Sunday, right? And then and, here's yeah. a man who gets ill and on a Monday night, the church is packed praying the rosary for him out of nowhere. Beautiful. And that's what he was able to do. And she was able to, you know, take her take her struggles and turn it into evangelization. And so for my own house fire, I was inspired at that time to say, you know, I watched what Jennifer did at her time of trial. I want to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so during the house fire, looking for opportunities to evangelize and to look for the beauty of God in our suffering. And so this whole album, it's not a, it's not an album of lament no. and, and sadness. It's about joy. It's yes. about, like, I'm doing this one song with John and Gotti on, um, for, for the Beatitudes, rejoice mm-hmm. and be yes. glad. And we pull in social justice issues in that song and just rejoice and, and yes. be glad because, yeah, 
after after darkness is light there's always light mm-hmm. yeah i know i love the line uh, of course i do uh, in that song about being salt of the earth and light of the world mm-hmm. the song we're going to end the show with that song with john angotti um maybe just in in concluding do, uh, do you see that a way to that we can see miracles in the suffering and the struggles just as much as we can in the beauty or rather oh i mean there's beauty in the suffering too i suppose but yeah. what would you tell people that person that's suffering right now i would say for my and i'm only for my own personal experience and what i've witnessed in people is that we are attracted to holiness when we see people who are holy when we see people who are dealing with things through faith it's attractive to us mm-hmm. and so if we want to be attractive to other people we need to use our suffering as an opportunity for for evangelization but sometimes in our suffering we have to choose to find the joy and it's not easy to do and that's only through deep prayer and walking with the holy spirit through our struggles so yeah. you know whenever i was really deep down sad and couldn't get out of this pit i just had to remind myself that no one was hurt in my fire mm-hmm. that, that we did have insurance that you know just i had to just purposely look for the joy in that, the miracle. The miracle in my own house fire was mm-hmm. that the wind was blowing in a certain direction and the house didn't completely come to the ground. That, right. You know, that, or that my neighbor wasn't affected by the uh-huh. wind. You know, that's just, we just have to look for that. Um, and it's not always easy to do, but that's why it's good to surround yourself with people who have faith. Right. So that we learn from each other. Right. When that time comes where we have to decide, all right, do we really have faith or not? Is it something we talk about, or do we live it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when we have a chance to live it, we can evangelize. Yeah, and then, of course, all the blessings that come from how God takes anything and makes it new. Um, that's really profound. Right. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to leave it there because it's just really profound that we, we see the holiness of people when they're at their worst, I think, sometimes much right. better than when they're at their best. Um, thank you, Lorraine. It's been so good uh, talking with you Um and I love the music as always. So I hope that Thank there's more coming. Again. And uh, congratulations on your new home. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you again. All right. You can learn all about Lorraine Hess by her music uh, or book her for your next event at her website, LorraineHess.com. And that's Hess, H-E-S-S dot com. And a reminder that all the proceeds from this album, See the Miracle, go to the Keith Collins Memorial Scholarship Fund. Here now is Lorraine Hess with that song that she mentioned singing with John Angotti, Rejoice and Be Glad, from her new album, See the Miracle. Blessed are they, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are they who are meek, for they 
Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You are salt of the earth. You are light of the world. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Blessed are those clean of heart, for they will see God. You are salt of the earth, you are light of the world. We're listening to Lorraine Hess with Rejoice and Be Glad from her album, See the Miracle. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. You can learn all about Salt and Light and support what we do at our website, saltandlighttv.org. If you have any questions or comments or just to say hello, reach out to me through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro.